forgotten how it feels with the carpet under my seat. It's the polyester fibers that wrap around my feet. Feels like home. This week on Champion Church Fort Worth, the podcast, Pastor Nicole McKern takes over for the final message of the Sea Orange series. Our study of the necessity of Christ's teachings, not only at the church, but in the home as well, in order to properly raise children to love the Lord. And Pastor Nicole simply has one word to focus upon for each age group we encounter. By utilizing these one-word focus points, we can be sure to give the child the support they need at the time they need it. Here's Pastor Nicole. Awesome. So we have been in our Think Orange, and as we were preparing for this and going through these different sessions, weeks of Sea Orange, I, I kept saying, you know, oh, wow, that really, that's great. That My concern was we're teaching about this whole concept is how the church and the family can come together and partner together to raise a generation of kids who love the church, who serve in the church, and who grow up to then do that same thing for their kids. Raise them in the church, love the church, serve the church, productive families, productive members of society. And the the tension always is how do we deliver a message on a Sunday morning about this and yet still touch every person who is here to hear about this. And I had my own personal battle and struggle with, you know, not everyone wants to hear, not everyone has a kid, not everyone has kids, not everyone wants kids, some people don't like kids. We're not talking about me, Pastor Samuel. We were talking about this, and I was really struggling this week, just to be honest with you guys, and he was like, well, Nicole, do you think it's because you really don't like kids? I have three. Hello. I love three kids. I'm just joking. So, um... This morning, as we go through this message, this last section of Sea Orange, I want you to think about it like this. All of this is applicable and practical to your own life. Whether you have kids, don't have kids living in the home anymore, have never had kids, love kids, don't like kids. All of this is a picture of ultimately who we are called to be in this world and how Jesus has shown his love to us in this world that we live in, right? So keep that in mind as you go through this, as we talk about this, and as we go through our last section of the Orange series, Think Orange. And this particular session is called One Word, which is funny because there are actually four words, but it's just one word for each section, right? See, already I have problems with this whole thing now. So we're going to pray and we're going to get started because I really believe God has a word for each person in here according to one word. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word is perfect. And Lord, that when we follow in the path that you have for us, Lord, we are victorious. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that you lead us, that you guide us. Lord, that you never, ever forsake us. Forget about us. Choose somebody over us, Lord God. We are your first pick, and we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to start out with, we'll get to all the key points and all of the things that Sea Orange wraps itself around, but I'm going to start with the verse in Proverbs 22.6, because essentially, this is it. We have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you still have a plan. So you will either have a plan to succeed or you will not have a plan. And by default, you then have a plan to fail. So we want to be champions who have a plan to succeed in our life, in our walk with the Lord, and in the lives of our children. 
Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So my question to all of us is, if you have kids, if you know younger people, where do you want your kids to be in 10 years, in 20 years? What do you want for them? You know, if we think about that, and I were to have you write some of your thoughts and things down, some of you might say, I want my kids happy. I want my kids successful. I want my kids healthy. I want my kids moved out of the house at 18, working a job, Patrick, right? You know, what, what is it our hope is for our children? <clears throat> and all of those things are good. I grew up in a family that was very, we knew exactly what our parents wanted for us. They wanted us to grow up, to be good people, to get a college degree, and to get a job. And then if we wanted to get married and do all those other things on the side, that was great. But those were the things we knew as Valdez girls we had to do. So while that's great, my question to all of us is, should that be our ultimate goal? Should those things be what we hang our hats on as far as looking at the next generation? Because far too often, even those of us who love the Lord and serve him, that's our plan for our kids, for the next generation. But really, what Sea Orange is all about is the fact that our whole goal with our children, with the generation to come, it should be that we are raising up a generation who understands that they are created in the image of God, that they love the Lord their God with everything, every part of them, and that they then love others the way God has called them to love others. Those should be the three things that we as champions who are helping to raise up the next generation, pour in to those people, whether it be our own kids in our home or the kids running around in this church that as by default, when you walk in here and you're older than them, you are a leader or a parent or a a mentor in their life. And so we want to encourage that in this series, and that's what it's been. In Matthew 22, I'm sorry, before I get there, I want to just say this thing is that back to the plan We're going to talk about this plan because John 10.10 tells us about a plan. We don't have to pull that scripture up right now, but we will go to that. So keep in mind the whole idea of a plan. Going to Matthew 22, 36 through 38, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so based on that, number one, that we are all created in the image of God, we need to get our kids to understand that and see that. And we're going to talk about a few things as to why that's so valuable and so important. And then we want to get our kids to a place where they so understand that, that they love God with everything that is within them. And the key to the next part is love their neighbor is if we don't understand and if we're not teaching our kids that they are created in the image of God and that they are to love him, they cannot love themselves. And if you cannot love yourself, you cannot love anybody else. You can try. You can do good things. You can be a good person. But ultimately what will come out of you is not love for other people because you don't have love for yourself. Because somewhere in that process of I'm created in the image of God, God loves me no matter what. There is a crack somewhere in there. And our goal as mentors and leaders and parents is to make sure that those cracks in our kids' lives are non-existent. Amen? Can we do it? 
not by ourselves, but yes, we can. And Jesus is so faithful to be with us through it all. Amen? We're going to talk about one word, which I said is more than one word. Somebody didn't ask me when they made the title of this sermon. So what is orange? As you learned and as we've repeated for the past three weeks, orange is this. Orange is red. Red, which is the family, right? And then orange is yellow, which is the church. And then if you took art class or you just were me and tried it to see if it was really true because you didn't take art class, you color red and yellow together and that makes orange. So that's the whole concept behind this. We're putting the church and the family together to create what is orange, to create what is a unit working together for the same goal. So behind that, it's the one belief. We're all created in the image of God. And the one rule, we love God with everything that we are, and then we love who God loves. Amen? That's right. So in that one word, we understand that kids are, as for our purposes, broken down into sections. There is the first section, which comes our first word, and that is the preschool age. Those are from, you know, when they're first born until they're that preschool time where they can go off to grade school. So from that zero to four, almost five years old. And that's what I call the needy stage. That's what, like, to me, Samuel loves that stage. That's when all you have to do is hold the baby, be with the baby, touch the baby. And so the word for that is embrace. So that one is you have to embrace the child, right? The preschooler, we want to give that one word, embrace. That's the whole, take care of my physical needs. When I cry, pick me up. <clears throat> when I'm dirty, change me. When I'm, you know, needing something, you provide for me. And by doing that at that stage, what we do is we show them a picture of a loving father, of a Jesus, of a God who physically loves us and provides for our needs. You know, when we first had our, our Olivia Grace, our first one, and <clears throat> many of you, most of you know our story, we couldn't have kids, so I was probably more protective than some women who want to have a baby and then they have a baby. Um, I had not that pleasure, so this was my baby, and nobody could breathe on her, and nobody could touch her, and nobody could look at her, because I, I didn't want her to have to leave, and, and you know, I didn't want her sick, so <clears throat> she would cry, or she would actually even just kind of like wiggle, and I'd be like, what does she need? What does she need, you know? So I'm embracing her probably too much. My pediatrician finally said, you know, no child ever actually died from them letting, their parents letting them cry a little bit, you know? Maybe Samuel went in and said, she touches the baby. Every time the baby cries, she picks the baby up. And, but <laughs> that's that embrace stage. We need to meet kids at that embrace stage. That's why at home, we need you as parents, as leaders here, loving those kids, embracing those kids. You know, Pastor Samuel um, counseled and mentored a young man who was in our youth group at one time who, who had a real issue with this embrace part of his life. Because as a young child growing up, he didn't have a father. He didn't have parents who embraced him. He didn't have that physical touch growing up. So he couldn't give that to anybody. And when people gave it to him, he didn't understand it. He thought something was wrong because as a young child, as a preschooler and infant growing up, that was not present in his life. 
So how do you think he grew up thinking Jesus was? He didn't see Jesus as this God in heaven because that young man didn't have that in his home growing up. So that's the first word for that first phase of life, and that's embrace. We have to embrace our preschoolers. We have to come to that place where they understand, I am safe. Because of you and your love for me, the way you show me, I know I am safe. I know that my primary, my natural needs are going to be met by you. When they're here at the church, back there in the nursery, that's the goal. We're not disciplining. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. Our goal back there is to embrace the child, to love them, to show them that if they need something, we are here for them. And as a parent, as a leader, as a mentor, that's the one word as you are raising your children that needs to be at the forefront. It's an important, important factor. I am... As they move from that, they move into the elementary age, the little, you know, five-year-olds through up through sixth grade, and that's just a weird kind of stage sometimes. They like to play a lot. They like to um, make believe a lot. Sometimes my kids, Jet and Finley, will still do this, and they're playing, and I'm thinking, you know, that's really not what you're saying it is. Like, there's nothing there. Why are they doing these make-believe things? Why are they imagining these things? And I want to just go burst their bubble and say, that's not what you think it is, you know. But it's because, listen to this, at this stage, that one word is engage. You have to engage children, elementary age, those school-age kids, in a place where they understand, you know, because right then what they're doing is they're going through this process of growing up thinking, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do all of that is being expected of me? They enter school for the first time. That's the first time they're being, you know, really seeing this whole, this person gets this grade, I get this grade. Do I have what it takes to keep going and to be who I'm supposed to be? In this phase, a parent or a leader needs to become an expert at storytelling and at having fun. And thank the Lord on high that he paired Samuel, Pastor Samuel and I together because, man, I can tell my kids what they should do and give them good advice and mentor them once they hit Olivia Grace's age. But before then, I'm like, my whole theory is, you know, suck it up. We got it. We got things to do. This has got to get done. You can overcome this. You can do this. But at that age, they need us to engage them at this stage and the level that they're at. Samuel is the master at storytelling. He can captivate even you guys <laughs> as he tells his stories and he's so animated in them and he's so big in them and you can see these things and my kids will come. They have every evening Samuel lays them down because at 9 p.m. I'm off the clock and he goes and lays the kids down and he talks to them and he, he does the Bible story with them and shares with them and while they're supposed to be getting ready for bed, I hear giggling and laughing and all of this stuff. And I'm like, what is he doing? And the next morning, the kids will come and repeat for me verbatim the story that Pastor Samuel has taken out of the Bible and recreated for them in their room that evening. Why is that important? Because they need to know that at that age, we care about what they care about. Because that's where they start building trust. That's where they start seeing that we are going to show up for them time and time again. We need to be masters at playing and having fun. You know, it so translates into this. Our Jet had um, some struggles, issues. He's a, a July baby. 
He's a boy. Sorry, boys, men. And he's our youngest. And so as he was going into school, he went into school at a very young kinder age because he had just turned five in July and we put him in school in August. And he did fine, but the teacher saw that he was a little on the lower end of all the other kids. And our kids go to an accelerated school, and so they're expecting them to do things even greater and faster than other schools. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've set my kid up to fail. I, I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I looked at him immediately, and I told Samuel, there's no way my kid's being held back, you know. <laughs> of course, that's pride in me, and I had to repent from that. But, you know, Samuel was so funny because he was just like, it's going to be okay. And the reason why is because this, the teacher came and told us, you know, he, he can do his math facts. It's just some of the reading is slower. But her biggest thing was, but, man, if I read a story to them, he is the first kid to always raise his hand and answer every single question that I ask in regards to that story. And it's because that's the stage that he was at in his life. And he had a father who understood that at that time and engaged him where he was. And do you know that that trust that's built up at that time, those are the things at that age our kids need. They need us to engage them so that they understand you can make it. You can do this. You will be successful. And it brings them to this place when we know what they like, that they understand we know them personally. And how many of you know we serve a God who knows us personally? And so at that point, we make that translation from, I know you personally, and do you know who else knows you personally? God, the Father, knows you personally. And then they transition into that middle school phase. And that is my favorite phase in the whole world. And I know... When I went to school and I told my dad I had gotten my degree, and then I went back to him, I said, Dad, I really think, you know, I thank you for this business degree that you allowed me to get, but I really feel like I want to teach, and, and, you know, I'm not asking you to pay for it, but if you want to, I'll gladly take it. And he was like, you know, if that's what you really want to do, yes, we, we're, we're happy to pay for it. You just go to school and you get your, your degree again. And, and he said, but just do me one favor, don't teach middle school. And I was, at that time, I wanted to be a kinder teacher. And I was like, Dad, I don't even like middle school kids. I'm not going to teach middle school. So I'm going through my teaching program, and all of a sudden, I'm falling in love with middle schooler, you know, that age. And I, I have to go home, and I'm like, Dad, I kind of, I think I'm going to teach middle school. And it's okay if you don't want to pay for it still, but that's kind of what I want to do. But if you still want to pay for it, that's really cool. And so, of course, he pays for it still. But my love for middle schoolers was just developed at that age, and it's because I had, if I look back at it, I had a, a need and a lack in my life when I first came to know the Lord, and it has to do with this one word of at that stage and at that age, we need to be, we need to remember this one word, affirm. At the middle school age, our kids so need to be affirmed in their identity, in who they're called to be, in the fact that they are that one belief created in the image of God. That trumps everything. And so I began to, as I came to know the Lord, understand that and had a mentor pour into me that, that then that was so what my heart's desire was to share with others that I couldn't help but love this stage of kids who needed that affirmation in their life. And at that age, that affirming is so necessary and so important because they move into the stage in their life like, um, who do I like and who likes me? And that can be very crushing at that age if they don't get the answer that their little hearts want. 
But as leaders and as parents, we can guide them in understanding that we affirm them. We tell them who they are in Jesus. We tell them that they're made in the image of God. We tell them that they are chosen by the one who really matters the most. We affirm all of these things to them so that they can then come to this place in their life where they then understand and value themselves. Remember what I said at the beginning, we can't do the second part of that commandment if we don't love ourselves first. How do we affirm kids? You know, the biggest and easiest way for any of us in this room to affirm a middle schooler is to notice them. Notice them. Pay attention to what they're doing. When they walk in the room, acknowledge their presence. Notice who they are. Listen to them. This is, for me, and Samuel, I mean, we might kind of tie on this. I don't know who's, who does it the least well, but our kids talk, and they talk. And one of them might mumble a little, and I'm always like, kid, won't call him out, slow down, you're mumbling, I can't understand you. (sighs) So then they say it all over again, that hour-long story now is another hour-long story where I can now make out some of the words because this kid is not mumbling anymore, but we have to listen to them, and not just listen like you do when your husband is telling you something or your wife is telling you something, Uh uh-huh, 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 like actually listen and pay attention to them and respond. That is what affirms a middle schooler. Applaud their contributions. You know, at middle school, they're so awkward. Their bodies are awkward. Their minds are awkward. Their hearts are awkward. Everything is awkward about them. They start to, you know, go back to that preschooler age where they smell, and you're like, um, we need to work this out over here. Samuel, you take this one. I'll take this. You know, but they need us to applaud their contributions because they're not going to get everything right. We don't get everything right. But you know what? Trying is something. And so if they try... Applaud them, recognize that, and include them. Listen, I think this is one of the most valuable things we can do for that age of people is include them. All of you sitting in here right now, myself included, want to be included. When we're included in something, that lights something inside of us that can carry us through a lot of difficult things that come our way. And if we will just take the time to include these middle schoolers in whatever we're doing, it's, it's crazy. Olivia Grace and her father go um, bay fishing every year when we go on this family vacation. And it all started one year when flippantly, I think, my husband just said, hey, Olivia Grace, you want to go? Like, they had an extra spot really is what it was, I think, and they needed to fill it. <laughs> but she said yes. And she went bay fishing with them, and they spent the whole day out on the boat. And then the next year it came around, and it wasn't, hey, Olivia Grace, do you want to go? It was, hey, Dad, I'm going fishing, right? Of course you are. You're included in this trip. And the, I, the, the feeling you just know she gets by being included, like she thinks she's a voting member in our house. Okay, she's 13. She's not really a voting member in our house. But we so include her to make her feel like she is that she takes ownership of things that go on in the house. It's a little trick. You guys try that on your little 13, 14-year-olds. One day they're going to wise up and get realizing, listen, oh, I don't think I'm really getting my, you know, voice heard here. But listen, an example of this is too, is um, we had, you know, there's a um, whole theory, mean girls. Well, there, there are mean boys too. And some little boy might have said something mean about our daughter and maybe called her not pretty, not smart, all of which are not true. 
And she comes in because of the relationship she and I have, she tells me about it immediately. And I think, oh my gosh, I'm about to go beat up some little seventh grade boy and we're going to all be in trouble. Like, this is, this is going down. Like, should I call Samuel and tell him before I do so he knows what happened or do I just go do it and then tell the kid, if you tell who did this to you, you'll get another one. You know, I don't know. But I'm like, I'm pacing back and forth in her room and I'm like, I know that kid's parents and we're friends and we're not going to be friends after this because I'm going to call. And she was looking at me and I'm looking at her and she had totally moved on. Like she shared with me what had happened and she was done. And she's like, mom, why are you freaking out? I'm like, what do you mean? Do you know what you just told me? And she's like, it's not like I believe him. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, it's like the Lord just hit my heart and said, because she knows who she is. Because you have laid the foundation of the fact that she is a child of God created in his image. And it doesn't matter what some little seventh grade boy who probably likes her anyway, and that's why he said that to her, said to her. And that's what we can do when we affirm our kids. Man, that's one time I got it right, believe me. The, the whole next thing is like, it says on here, you also need to master the skill of not freaking out. I failed right there. I'm just telling you, I freaked out. I didn't follow through. No little seventh grade boy got beat up by me, but I'm not, you know. But that, that's the thing. We have to affirm our kids because right after they move from that stage of middle school where they need to be affirmed, they move into this stage where they are ready to be mobilized in their faith mobilized into doing and living out the call of God on their life. And we have the opportunity to allow that for them. You know, that's when they start to ask this question, why should I believe you? Why should I believe God? And the only way that we can allow them to process through these things is if we allow them to be mobilized in their faith, allow them to be mobilized in serving in whatever capacity they're called to serve in. They are gifted. Listen, every kid in this room that is represented by all of us here, all of you at one time were kids, so that includes you. Every one of us has gifts and talents poured into us before the foundations of the earth. I told Olivia Grace because she said to me, which is so not her, so I'm thinking, who have you been talking to? She said, I don't even know about this guitar thing. It might just be like something I'm doing to pass the time until I go do something else. And she named, and I'm like, you don't even do that. Like, what are you talking about? You're just going to all of a sudden decide to be this virtuoso doing this skill. And, and she's like, I'm just, guitar is probably just a, a pastime. And I'm thinking, what in the world? But you know what? It was, she needed to understand. I said, I began to speak to her and tell her, you know, Olivia Grace, do you know that your gift for playing the guitar the way you do at your age was poured into you by God Almighty before the foundations of the earth, before you were even created, God had that, and poured it into you? And she began to think and think, oh, well, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I, she began, to, that's when all of this talk, like, she'll never, and don't say anything to her when you see her, she'll never volunteer for anything. It's just not her. She's sitting back, hey, everybody take, you know. She'll do her part, but that's it. Maybe that's the age, I don't know. But she began to talk to me about, I think I want to talk to, um, she calls Dane, uh, Dane, our worship guy, you know, Dane sings the songs up here, Uncle Dane. I think I'm going to talk to Uncle Dane about a song I want us to do on a family Sunday. And I'm like, right there, I'm remembering this whole sermon, like, don't freak out, don't freak out. But this is what I've been waiting for. You know, she's like, I think I'd like to lead this song. And I'm like, 
oh my goodness, like this could be it. Like she could be mo- being ready to go into, and then of course she's like, nah, I don't want to do that. And I was like, oh, so close. But listen, we have to mobilize our kids in the ministry that God has called them to do. If it's working with babies, if it's helping set up hospitality, if it's playing on the worship team, if it's preaching, if it's setting up, you know, whatever it is, that is the age where they mobilize it. Because listen, just like you as an adult, if you are not mobilized in your calling, in your giftings, they will become stale and stagnant, and eventually you will not use them. And then you will be somebody who just sits and comes and consumes, and we are not people who are created to be consumers. We are people who are created by God to receive and then go and pour out. And that's why we have to mobilize our teens at this age, because you know what? They're getting ready to move out of the house. They're getting ready to make their own decisions from that point on. And we need to be those people that understand that they have these these stages and phases in one words. And I want to get to this part because some of this can be so overwhelming and I don't have kids, but listen to this. It says, think about, I want you to think about the narrative of scripture and how it all relates to all of this. It's a story of love and love can only be proved over time. And this is the fact. I want you to listen to this. It says, God embraced us as creator. And what was that first word for preschoolers? Embrace. God embraced us as a creator and a loving father. Secondly, God engaged us on the planet as an incarnate teacher, God in flesh. Third, God affirmed us as a redeemer and a savior as he went to the cross. And fourth, God mobilized us as he resurrected Christ who gave us his spirit to move in. See, God had a plan for all of these phases we would walk through as kids as young babies through adults, and it mimics the plan in Scripture. And if we can be parents and leaders and teachers who invest in this and believe this and embrace the preschoolers who need embracing and engage the the grade schoolers and affirm the middle schoolers and mobilize the high schoolers and the teenagers, we will begin to set up a generation who has so much more than many of us had to begin with. As you sit here and think of these words, you know, we can think of the things we're really good in, but there are things we're also really deficient in. You know, I'm not good at engaging like Pastor Samuel is, our kids. I don't like to make believe and pretend. You know, they get the Samuel, Pastor Samuel water when he's studying his sermon, and they, you know, one kid gets the glass down and fills the ice up, and then the other kid runs to the table over here and, and is writing something, and I'm like, what are they doing? And then they get together, and they walk over to Pastor Samuel's office and his desk, and they say, one, one mocha water, and I'm like, what is this? And they, don't tell my kids I'm telling you this, and they set it down on the paper, and then the other little kid goes, here's your ticket. Will you sign off, please? And they sign off that they gave their dad a mocha water that he requested at the restaurant, like, like, I'm deficient in that area. I'm like, just give me the glass of water, you know? But they love that. We have to meet our kids at the age and the stage that they're at. And if we haven't, because we didn't receive that, I don't, I don't remember one day my dad or mom playing with me in that way. Because they probably weren't played with that way. But you know what? I can recognize that and break that cycle right now. And I can become who God has called me to be for myself because I need to realize, am I deficient in that area in the whole big picture? As we close, I I told you the whole plan thing and thought, and 
I'm going to close with two thoughts, and that's, you know, in John in John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. And he comes to come and steal the potential of our kids. And he comes, and that's the mobilized part. If he can demobilize them, that's his plan. And he comes in that affirmation way to kill the identity of who they are in Jesus in their life. And the engage and embrace section is this. He comes to destroy the image of God in them. Because if he knows that if he can do that, that he will leave a whole generation of kids who are lost and do not know which way to go in this world that will so loudly speak to them of the world's way to go. And as we close this morning, I want to just remind you of something. There's a story, and I'm going to just kind of off the top of my head relay it to you, but there's a story of this professor who was called to come and and do a time management section for this incoming class of freshman students at this university. And so he comes and he, and remember the whole thing is on time management, he comes and he gets this big glass bowl pitcher and he puts these big tennis ball sized rocks into the glass pitcher and stacks it all the way to the top and he asks the students there, is this container full and they're like yeah yeah and he says no look at this and he begins to grabs a a pot of gravel and he pours it into and shakes the little container so that the pieces of gravel shift and find their way into the holes in the rocks that were placed in there and fills it all the way up and he says is it full and of course by then some of the kids are like no no it's not full and so he says you're right So then he gets sand, and he pours the sand in there and does the same thing. So, again, is this container now full? And, of course, by now all of them are like, I'm not going to be the one that says no or yes. And so they're like, no. And he says, you're right, again. And he pours a whole container of water into that big glass bowl that he had started with. And he says, what does this teach you? And here they think they're in a lesson on time management. And one kid raises their hand and says, it teaches you that if you try really hard, you can fit everything you have to do into your schedule that day. And he's like, and the professor's like, no. What it teaches you is that if you don't put what's the most important first into your life, the biggest thing, those big rocks, you will not have room to put anything else in because if that water had gone in first or the gravel or the sand there would have been no way for those rocks without spilling everything over to go into that container and for us the word is simple we need to make sure that as adults who are following Jesus that as parents who are leading kids as mentors and leaders who are working with students that we are making what is the most important important because that's the only way we'll be able to do and handle everything else that comes our way and the most important things are realizing that we are made in the image of God realizing that in itself at this age is so liberating I am made in the image of God I am you are that means anything that comes my way I am able to overcome and handle 
And the other thing is, the most important thing is that I am to love God with everything that is within me. Go home and look up the scripture and look up what the body and the soul and the mind are. All of that encompasses who you are. And only by loving him that way and loving ourselves are we going to be able to love who God loves. And those are the big things in our life. And this morning as we stand to our feet, uh, we can stay sitting. As you stay sitting, close your eyes, bow your head. If you're being baptized, you may go ahead and walk towards the back to get prepared for that. We're just going to pray. Because going through this and walking through some things early on in my life with the Lord, I realized, you know, by, by life, by circumstance, I was deficient in some of these areas. But the bottom line is, is that God comes and he fills those cracks and he restores and he redeems and he allows us to see ourselves the way we should be seen, created in the image of God. Is there anything that your own children, your flesh and blood could ever do that could cause you to push them away from you? That's the way the Lord looks at each one of us. There's not one thing we could do. You know, I want us to think about these things and embrace, engage, affirm, and mobilize. If we're deficient in one of those, it's not necessarily our fault. But God wants to come and heal those areas in our life so that we can then move forward and be people who can encourage the young generation coming up. That they can be engaged. That God engaged them. That they can be embraced and mobilized and affirmed. And listen to this. That next generation that we're pouring into, they're the ones who are going to be taking care of us, caring for us, helping us. So as you close your eyes and bow your head, I'm going to pray for us. And it's so awesome, but so humbling. Listen, I had to come to a place where I realized, you know, I don't engage very well because I'm kind of a, you know, this is this, this is that, no nonsense kind of girl. But God said, you know, your kids need you to get down and engage with them. They need you to allow them to bring you a mocha water on the rocks sometimes. So, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are so wise. I thank you, Jesus, that you have a plan and a purpose for everything. Lord, each one of us sits here today full of gifts, full of abilities, full of talents, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that as we think about these things, that if we see a lack or a deficiency in any one area, Lord, that you would come and you would fill it. Lord, because our goal is that we would walk whole. Lord, that we would walk understanding who we are. That we are made in the image of you, Lord Jesus. And by default, we are loved because of that. And Lord, I thank you that we are called to love you with every part of us. Our body, our soul, our mind, Lord God. Every area, our spirit is so to be with you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that as we do that, We come to this understanding that we are loved by you and only then can we love others. And Lord, your whole reason for coming was to love others. Your whole reason for mobilizing us, Lord Jesus, was that so we could go out and love others in your name. And I pray, Lord, that from this day on, we would be a room of champions who love those who you love, who pour into the next generation because they are called and created by you to do great and mighty things. We love you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning.
That's all for this week. Tune in next week for our new series, Love Revolution. Have a blessed one.